Hey everyone, I'm Jordan Henderson and welcome to the RevOps Podcast. I'm joined today by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger. Hey guys. What's up guys? All right, everybody, this is Jordan. Uh, this week on the RevOps Podcast, you got myself, Jordan Henderson, Jonathan Stevens, and Brandon Redlinger, and we are going to be talking about sales forecasting. Now, as always, I want one of my two distinguished colleagues, neither of them looks prepared, even though you both knew we were going to be talking about <laughs> sales forecasting. I want one of my two distinguished colleagues to tell me what sales forecasting is. Um, it is predicting... <laughs> Uh, how much sales you're going to be doing, how much money you're going to be bringing in in a given time period. I don't know. Jordan? I mean, <laughs> you're, you're not totally wrong. <laughs> I just, I am consistently amazed. At you the know depth I don't prep in- for these no, things. No, I know I don't I'm, prep. Cons- <laughs> I'm consistently amazed at the depth of insight that you guys provide without being able to define the thing that you're providing <laughs> insight about. <laughs> Like we we get past we get to this part every week and I'm like wow I'm gonna be talking a lot and then you have insights so it's just, it's <laughs> you just, guys actually it's, say the, the something intelligent <laughs> don't really make sense to me Jonathan you want to take a crack at sales forecasting so uh, I think it's just uh, forecasting sales <laughs> nailed it <laughs> <laughs> but in reality I'm, yes I, it's forecasting the ups and downs of the sales process when it pertains to revenue pipeline. How much is going to go out the door? How much is going to come in the door? And kind of trying to predict that as best you can. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, right? Like, we're we're not talking about like the most intense definition of a thing that ever. It's pretty self-explanatory. What I what I have as a sales forecasting definition, for what it's worth, is the process of estimating future revenue by predicting the amount of product or services your sales unit will sell in the next week, month, quarter, year, eon, perpetuity, whatever amount of time, right? Um, just from like a broad overview. Now that's that's a very broad version of sales forecasting. Worth noting that I think a lot of people make the dis- the failure to distinguish that there's a difference between a sales forecast and sales goals. So saying that a sales goal is what you want to happen and a sales forecast is what you think will happen. Now a lot of times those two things are not as aligned as you would hope that they would be, but Worth noting, they are not the same thing. If the numbers are the same, that's great. You're doing a great job. Keep doing it, kid. You probably don't need to listen to this episode. But <laughs> How often does it happen? Very, like, I, we lost one listener if there was a thousand on here right yeah. there. So, like, <laughs> um, cool. So, so I mean, let's let's dive right into it. Uh, you guys are in marketing. Obviously, obviously, revenue operations, sales forecasting is hugely important to me, a big part of my job. Um why is sales forecasting important to you? And I'm, I'm going to start with Brandon, product marketing. Well, I actually think a more interesting question is why should RevOps care about getting product marketing involved in forecasting? Well, maybe we'll get there, but I didn't know you were hosting today. All right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking over. Turn the tables. Uh, what, what, what is, turn my question into a question. Say, <laughs> All right, but totally fine. Let's go down the rabbit hole. Say more about that because because actually, what what I think you're saying is is product marketing. What why it's important to you is you actually want to be involved in it. Exactly, and I I don't think sales involves product marketing enough. Um, but there there are a lot of things that marketing product marketing can bring to the table. Um, like a lot of things that they're doing are like helping or like planning product releases. A product release is going to impact how much sales you're going to do, right? And also things like 
packaging and pricing. And if we're not aligned on that and that doesn't go into your forecast, your number could be way off, right? So if if you just assume that, you know, it's $100 as per user per month, because that's what we always do, but I decide to package it differently and now it's $75 per user per month, that it's going to affect you a lot, right? So that's totally true. Yeah, so it, as long as you and I are completely aligned on that and we know when products are actually coming out, because maybe maybe the product product got delayed a little bit. Maybe there's some regression that we need to be doing before we actually go GA. We need to keep it in beta a little bit longer. So if we're not completely aligned on that, um, it could hurt your for, forecast number. And if you if your forecast is inaccurate many quarters in a row, that's not a good sign for anyone See, involved. But there- there's a thing here that I want to I want to touch on because you did it because because I love everything you've just said except for one thing you said your <laughs> forecast number Dude, it is not fair. my forecast That's number fair. it is not sales's forecast sales. Sales. <laughs> but this but this is actually a big problem this is a thing that I think most companies do is everybody thinks of it like marketing thinks of it as hey that sales forecast number CS thinks hey that sales forecast number it's not it's the company's forecast number right True. Like that number is important to the entire business. Yeah, yeah, very important for marketing too because that, like that's how we plan, that's how we budget. Like marketing budgets are the biggest budgets out there, right? And that that's how we hire. That's how success can make sure right. that Now you're answering my original question, why is <laughs> yeah, it important you go, to you? you? <laughs> because you can hire. We got there. So hey, we make, got there. Yeah, we circled all the way back. <laughs> um, but 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 what what I'm sort of hearing is is that, you know, sort of beyond why it's important to you because because it's important to you in the same way it's important to every team, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. which which is for like predictable revenue that you use for territory planning and quota planning and marketing budget allocation in your hiring plan. Like obvious things, right? Well, uh, but what I'm hearing is ways that you're recommending a product marketer actually should inject themselves into the forecast model in a way. Exactly, hundred percent. And 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 what are those things? Give me more of them. I want to hear more. Like, what are the ways that you can help me with forecasting? Like, obviously, product releases. You touched on pricing. Like, what else? What else can we do? What can I, we do I, together? What can we do? We can do so much together, Jordan. <laughs> no, I. So, the, yeah. Aside from those things too, um, I mean, I think it goes back to some of the other things we've been talking about too. Like a lot of the things that we were talking about in the territory uh, territory planning episode, like mar- product marketing brings all that market intelligence to the table, so that you can uh, just more predictably. Pre- Dict or forecast where <laughs> where the where your revenue is coming from, right? So if you have more complex models, um, there's a lot of data points that go into that. It's not just you know you're selling one product at one price, and it's a short sales cycle. And now go. Most people mm-hmm. on this call, there's so many inputs, there's so many data points that go into um, your forecast, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. But you know, marketing. Product marketing specifically brings brings a lot of those. Yeah, totally. Jonathan, what question do you want to answer since we're deciding <laughs> on our own today? Bring it on. I, what? Uh, why is forecasting important to you? Marketing operations. Yeah, uh, I think marketing operations wise, it's just more for the health of the business, the health of how our demand gen efforts are moving the needle, ensuring that kind of what we're spending is getting tracked and getting in the pipeline, getting turned into revenue. So I think it's probably similar to how it would affect revenue operations in that way. 
To a degree, but I, I want I want you to go further. Alec just messaged that I need to be close to my mic. Sorry, everybody, you couldn't hear my beautiful voice for a few <laughs> minutes there. Um, I want I want to push you further than that because I, I yeah. think there's a lot of ways where forecasting directly impacts marketing operations, not just from like a total company standpoint, right? And and I want to talk about we'll get into a bit more like granular forecasting, but but you're looking at as a marketing operations guy. I, I know you are looking at like 18 different lead sources, right? Like mm-hmm. there, there are so many avenues by which we're creating leads and squos and like field <laughs> events and all sorts of nonsense, right? Not nonsense. They're super helpful. Sometimes this podcast might generate leads. Who knows? Um, but, but um, like, how do, how do you use forecasting in that sort of stuff? Like, does it help you at all? Is it just totally outside of your caring? No, no, I think it's, <laughs> it's definitely helpful in understanding what's moving the needle. So if we've got pipeline generated very heavily from one channel and not very heavily on the other, then we might pump more money into that channel so that we can build more pipeline so that it will help our forecasting and ultimately our revenue. Right. And I think that's the big thing is, is that um, I, I think what I like to do with forecasting and marketing and you and I were actually just working on this earlier this week is not just a lot of times marketing looks at it as this is how much pipeline we created job done. Right. Mm-hmm. But like you want to close, close, or you want to create closable pipeline, like pipeline yeah. that's likely to close. And it's really forecasting is a really helpful tool for that because you can look at like, here's how much we're predicting to close from each lead source. And so then I can back into like paid social is super great for us. We are, we are 20% win rate on paid social. It's 15% elsewhere. Like let's dump budget into paid socials that we create more closable revenue, which is actually a better thing than just more pipeline. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and forecasting is great for that because it starts to, it's not just based off of bookings. You can be forward looking like we're projecting to close a million dollars in paid social next quarter. Great. Like maybe we should make it too and spend some more money there. Who knows? (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Cool. Um, so let's, let's talk about this. Have you guys ever, this is a, this is a question I usually ask you guys. I didn't, have you guys ever like done a forecast? Have you ever forecasted something? Like, have you ever been a sales rep that rolled up a forecast or what's your experience with forecasting? My forecast experience actually lies on the weather side. I was actually going to be a weatherman (laughs) and call myself, (laughs) Johnny Sprinkles. So wait, is that are you serious? (laughs) 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 So Johnny Sprinkles. Let me let me me just zoom out for a minute here. This morning when I told you guys that we're gonna be talking about forecasting, rather than come up with a definition of what sales forecasting is, you went and came up with that joke. (laughs) That was worth it. That was worth it. That was that was was where you spent your time. I got like it. it. Got it. Got it. Got it. The, the level of dedication. Hey, I believed it there for a sec. Yeah. Man. All right. Real question though: Have you guys ever have you ever done a sales forecast? Um, honestly, not in depth. Uh, I think what we've kind of been working on together recently has been about the closest I've been to it in my career so far. Nice. We've been you've been working on it closely with me, so mm-hmm. it's pretty close to it. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Um, and I, I, I've been involved, but not not super heavily in the past. Um, you know, leading the sales development team, I did always have to deliver a, a forecast on the pipeline, um, but d- didn't go much further than that, to be honest. Got it. So, so let me ask, and and and, and uh, you know, you both have some familiarity with it, though. Um, you, you sort of understand the idea of how it's done or can be done. There, there are, by the way, like 
seven or 40 different ways to do sim forecasting. Yeah. There's, it's just an insane number of things. And, and um, like talking high level, there's, there's just like the basic reps opinions. Like you ask the reps to roll up what they think they're going to close. There's purely historical. So you could say every quarter we convert this much pipeline to close one. This is our percentage. So this is where our pipeline started. This is what we're going to close. Um, there's deal stages and probability, which is typically like a native feature in Salesforce and copper and HubSpot and every other CRM um, sales cycle and age. So if you're average deal age is a certain point and you just consistently close at a certain age it's pipeline forecasting i mean there's combinations of all of the above and all of them use wildly different metrics are there metrics that if you like i'm gonna start with you brandon you as the product marketer would want to make sure are 100 being included in the forecast model like what would be the data points that you were like that is the most important thing we need to have that in there what are the data points important? I mean, when I, when I think of forecasting, it's like, I mean, that, there, there is the, the data side. Like, I want to know all my conversion rates across all my different channels. Like, absolutely, right? Now, I want to make sure that's all accurately tracked and updated in, in CRM. You know, in our case, obviously, Salesforce. Um, and then, like, outside of that, um, I mean, that... That's, that's I mean, conversion conversion rates is a great one to include, especially if you're getting to the level of granularity that you're talking about, right? If I have conversion rates per lead source built into my forecast model, like that, that is a, a, typically a very effective way to do that. And also, also like rep performance too. I, I know some people do it pure. Well, I think you actually touched on it, right? You just ask the rep, <laughs> what are they forecasting? They roll it up all into uh, the the yeah. whole team, and there's your forecast. I I, I don't love that, but. You know, I've seen companies do it like that before. Um, but th- th- I mean, there's, well, there's something to it, though, right? Like, because if you take a pure data approach to it, you're going to miss a lot of the intuition or you're going to miss things that you just can't track. Like maybe someone's going on vacation, right? Your top rep is going on vacation for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, you're counting on him for a big piece of your forecast, right? And if you don't, if you can't take that into account um, or t- any, anything like that anything like right. changes in the industry that now I can't rely on my paid social at all. That would hurt us right. a lot. In- industry, industry changes is a really important one that I think people like accurate forecasting requires you to start to do some predictions about your industry, particularly the ones that are in your ICP. Right. Right. Exactly. And so yeah. so like you can't purely rely huge. on historicals, but it's, a, yeah. I, it, yeah. Yeah. Some, some sort of all of the above and, and reps opinions do matter. The, the, yeah, the yeah. problem that I have with reps opinions ultimately is, is um, it's just hard to scale. So when, when you're a company with a 20, 30, 40, even 80 person sales team, rep opinion, great. Like it, it should be a factor. But once you hit that point where you're Salesforce and you have thousands of sellers, yeah. like, I don't know how you even use reps opinions to forecast <laughs> like, like that is, that is terrifically hard. Right. And then, and then you have to get more, granular in your in your forecasting and i think you should do that earlier rather than later and then you have people that are like just coming on you don't know how fast they're going to ramp or you have people who are leaving the business and they don't tell you until the first day of the month when they you know after they close it after they get their paycheck right right Right. so yes stuff like that which yeah. hopefully maybe yeah. you build that into your model. Ideally, so, so, you build that. So, well, totally. And, and what you've just advocated for, by the way, is just a total conglomerate of all of the different methods that I listed <laughs> yeah. out, which, which is, by the way, probably the best version of forecasting. So, so like, and, that, and that's what the, you know, it's a very hard place to get to, but ultimately where you want to be, I think. Um, Jonathan, same question to you. Any data points that you're like, that should absolutely be included in forecasting? Yeah. And I think the accuracy of the data, most importantly, and I think, 
ensuring the reps are really on top of the expected revenue out of the deals they're working that they're not mm. overinflating, underinflating, because then that's going to wildly impact your forecasting. Uh, additionally, making sure your data points on the opportunity are correct, whether you're doing a first touch model, whether you're doing even distribution, you've got to ensure that those data points are he's there. Talk, for he's reporting. talking about attribution for everybody oh, yeah. marketing <laughs> listening. <laughs> Jonathan likes to talk about attribution. But <laughs> I live attribution. <laughs> um, but 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 it, you, you do bring up a valid thing, right? Like um, there, there's sort of two sides to, to forecasting. One of them is, is especially if you're doing, let's say you're using reps opinions. Uh, the reps might have 100% accuracy on what deal is going to close and what deals aren't going to close. But you could have a forecast number that's totally off base if the dollar values they're putting in your mm-hmm. CRM are wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Which if you're basing hiring decisions and territories and quotas on the dollar value, you still have an inaccurate forecast despite the fact that they got every deal right. And so what Jonathan, it sounds like you're saying is, is like the data, data, the data points to use in the forecast are less important to you than put the stuff in Salesforce and make sure that it's accurate. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like stale things, stuff that's sitting out there that shouldn't be is, is a big impact on your, you know, your forecasting ability. So you got to make sure you don't have stuff out there that doesn't need to close out. And that's the reason I hate the whole, like, deal stages plus probability thing because mm-hmm. if there's like a stale deal that should be removed it just skews your whole pipeline by a yeah. significant percent it's crazy and you're and always going to have these outliers that are like a million dollar deal that's stuck in stage two that like maybe <laughs> should be closed out but like maybe shouldn't yeah. and so it's, it's, it's hard there. to make that call yeah and so and you don't like you don't want to close it out too early but it's clo- like that's why the deal stage is probability thing it just kills me right, just not closing out a deal work. when they should well, <laughs> or closing oh. it out too early because that's what also happens right they also frequently will like close a deal out lost and then like a month later they have a new version of it open and you're like oh yeah. no like, oh that's true happens? that's true yeah, yeah. Like, we just why? saw that about a month ago like, yeah and then, and then it closes three weeks later and you're like this never should have been closed lost yeah. like now i have to go delete this closed lost deal because yeah. what just happened but then my age of my pipeline is wrong so like yeah these are things data hygiene very important for very accurate important. forecasting very mm-hmm. very important um and and just reps consistently updating so so what about negative forecasting, which I, I know is a concept I've talked about a few times around you guys. Do you guys know about neg- negative forecasting? What do you know about negative forecasting? And we'll have to give a definition for everybody, too. <laughs> well, I, I don't think we've talked to talked about it, but there's that article that <laughs> you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> I did send you an Before article the podcast. about it. <laughs> and I, I, think I, I think I sent it like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, just being able to, um, like predict negative things that like um, bad things that might happen. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly how the article risk. defined it. It's, it's yeah, risk. D- exactly. It's risk. So, so it's, it's forecasting values, values against risk that are in your pipeline. So for instance, if, if you've, if you're selling, if you're ringing and you're selling seven products and, and you have a million dollars in revenue tied to one specific product that's relatively new to the market and only one person knows how to demo it, you have risk associated to that million dollars that's based on the fact that this is a new product, right? And you, and you would want to know that because 
is I want to identify places where we need to focus. Maybe it's product resources to shore up that product to make sure it's ready for a million dollars in business because we just launched it or, or, or things like that, right? It's actually a way to use your forecasts, I think, in a, in a very productive way to inform where other teams past sales and marketing should be allocating time, budget, and energy, which, which is a very hard thing to use forecasting for, but very important to, to do when, when you do things like that to that degree. Yeah, it's yeah. very difficult to try to predict the negatives. And you don't want to skew it in the wrong direction too. So yeah, it's a, it's but, a balance. But the, 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 the crazy part about that is, is that sales reps are very, very good at identifying the risk in deals. Mm-hmm. That, that is actually like sort of one of the key fundamental things about being a good seller is, is knowing the risk that's involved in any given deal that you're working. And so it, they're, they're actually identifying these things. I think what the miss is that a lot of companies aren't then relaying that information back throughout the company and actioning it in a way that is meaningful to the pipeline to improve the forecast. Well, g- great. Let's, let's talk about how people should do that then. How, how do you want to do it? Do, well, you tell me. We're doing. We're doing. <laughs> we're, 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 we're 100 implementing negative forecasting at Ring DNA. I think. It, I think it's a wonderful thing, and and the the honest way to do it, and in the way that we're we're going to start doing it, is is just very simple. So, go through all of the deals that you've lost in the past six months, nine months, probably six months. I want recency, really, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Depending on volume, if you have enough. Why did you lose them? What, what, are, what are the things that are causing you to create, what are the things that you're losing deals for? Because almost certainly those are the same things that are creating risk in your current pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if you can identify five things that you're consistently losing deals to, maybe it's competitors with a different feature. Maybe it's the, like, it might be that you have 30% of your pipeline at risk because you don't have one specific feature, which is a great piece of information for your engineering team to know, right? And so, but Product start by, team. start with, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> engineers build the thing. All right. There's a lot of engineers out there angry at Brandon right now. <laughs> no, product, please, product. Please, Screw man. those please, engineers. No, just please, please go find him on LinkedIn and blow him up. Uh, <laughs> giving all the credit to product. Just, just saying. Engineers, you know. we, we love you and you work very hard. It's um, <laughs> true. And so, but but go go find the five things that you're losing business to, that you're losing revenue to identify the way you want to phrase that risk that's being created there and then implement a a process in your CRM to where every deal can't be qualified unless risk is identified for, for what it's worth. I mean, it's not in a quote, like a sales qualified opportunity definition, but I certainly would consider identifying risk, a a requirement of of anything in the pipeline because every deal has risk. There's no slam dunks. Otherwise they already would have signed, right? There's there's risk associated everywhere. And to add to that, from a data hygiene perspective, try to make sure that field <laughs> is a pick list and not yes. a free form because you are not going to be able to analyze free form text in a if meaningful you, if way. If you say if you say attribution, I'm going to be yours forever. Right <laughs> For now, attribution. Just, just <laughs> For attribution. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but no, pick list yes, and and also make it a validation rule where it's required exactly. at a certain stage, yep. right? 100%. Like it, because if you don't populate that data, it's useless. It needs to be populated. Um, and that, and that's going to be, it's going to require a backfill of your current pipeline. That's just the reality of the scenario, but the value that it's going to add is going to be really awesome because can you, can you imagine the world where you can go to your engineering team and say, Hey, I need this feature. And they're like, yeah, we'll put it on the list. And you're like, no, I need it urgently. Cause there's $2 million in pipeline <laughs> yeah. at risk because of it. Right. <laughs> 
Like tying that dollar value, very, very important. By the way, whatever, engineering product team, I saw you make that face, Brandon. Thank you, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have thoughts on negative forecasting? Because we're building it at Ring DNA. We're doing it. We're going to negative forecast like crazy. I love it. Yeah, that's great. That's I, I love it too. I, I, I hadn't been familiar with that concept, but I mean, I, I, I think it's very important. Just, you've, you've convinced me, Jordan. Well done. That's, that's, that's my job. That's my job. <laughs> Just, I don't really have to convince you. I already decided we were doing it. <laughs> it didn't matter whether you wanted to or not. It, it like, really it did not matter. Yeah. Way, so. <laughs> um, cool. Well, that, this has been super helpful. So the one thing that I want to do, uh, because negative forecasting, we've talked about how to do it right. Um, if there are people out there, and you're just talking about forecasting for the first time, and you're like, we need to do forecasting. We need to give them a place to start, because forecasting mm-hmm. is really hard, and it's really hard to do well. And so I, I want to just quickly say that building an accurate forecast method takes time. So be patient with yourself. That's the most important thing. Forecasting is a very difficult thing, and start simple. Use things like historic data and rep input. Right. Like start with a very simple framework. We're using rep input and what we've closed historically to verify that and make sure that it lines up to what we think we can do. Those two things are confirmed good enough as a starting point and then start to layer in the things that are going to help you be more accurate, like age of the deal, amount of conversations, the recency of, of or the speed at which it's moving through the pipeline, like velocity, things like that that you can layer into your forecast model. But start simple identify what's important and then build there. And I would typically start with rep input, total forecast, and then compare it against my historic to make sure it makes sense just as a foundation and build from there. Do you guys have other thoughts where where people would jump in? Yeah. I mean, uh, there are some technology solutions that could help someone who's very at the early stages. So we have Tableau CRM, which is a very powerful tool built into Salesforce that can compile data from all kinds of different areas. And they have a lot of very powerful templates that you can just plug the template in, start it up, and you've got sales forecasting on a very basic level Mm -hmm. right there. And you can kind of adapt from a templatized version of that. So that's definitely an avenue you can try if you feel like it's too overwhelming to try to jump in and do it yourself. Totally. And, and there's companies like Clarity does forecast and Cluster, who, who mm-hmm. a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but, but I'm a huge fan of. And their, their, their co-founder, Rory, is just awesome. They will cons- consultatively help you kick off forecasting. I'm going to be on their blog, so it's okay. We give them a shout out. They're going to give me a shout <laughs> there out. You it's go. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Cross-promoting. Whatever. Uh, Brandon, any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I would say de- like don't change your forecast. Like if, if you're off one quarter, the first quarter that you do it, don't just go change your model. Let me mm-hmm. do it. Let me use a different model that that'll Great get you point. in trouble. Like just yeah. tweak it here or there. Like you will be always evolving your forecasting model. And I think you always should be evolving it mm-hmm. and adding different data points. But uh, if, if you're not, if you don't nail it the first time, like give yourself a break. Like I don't, I don't think anyone really nails it their first time. It takes it takes a lot of time to make an accurate mm-hmm. forecast model, and then what happens is you release two new products, and your entire methodology is out the door. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and you have yeah. a whole, and then you're in a new industry with a new ICP, and you have a whole new forecast model. Like things are going to change it, so it needs to remain flexible for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think and anything in this world, whether it's revenue operations, marketing operations just the company in general, if you make changes too quickly without being able to give enough time to analyze the Mm. data of your current model, you're just going to constantly be changing and chasing something that you're never going to get to. 
the RevOps podcast, where, where Brandon and I will tell you things about business, and Jonathan will give you applicable life advice in a very voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, now, how cool. can I spin this back to attribution? <laughs> <laughs> And that noise, of course, signifies that it is time for our closing segment, which is this week on LinkedIn. Um, so this week on LinkedIn, I got a message from someone asking me to help them get a job with the England national football team. Ooh. Because this is, this is actually true. There's the, a, a star player for the England national football team's name is Jordan Henderson. So somebody <laughs> yeah. LinkedIn prospected me so thinking you've got that the I was the, oh, the player. Oh, I see. For oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Oh, they didn't want like, a rev ops I, job with them. No, they wanted they wanted oh, a job I see, I you see. Know, on the coaching staff. They've been watching Ted Lasso. Uh, which yeah, which my my I don't think players typically have a lot of involvement in choosing coaches, but no, but like I guess I could be totally wrong in, 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 in soccer. But my advice to that one is just you know don't don't prospect players if you want a coaching job. That feels, yeah, I think it's like that's good advice. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Handled that one. Anyways, the real question, the, the real question that I got. By the way, that was a real question that I got this week. That is I, hilarious. I took me like Ten minutes to figure out what was going on. Um, but the the real question I got, and this one's more of a uh, I get to know you sort of topic for our listeners because I think this is a curious question. Is is somebody messaged me and asked, "How did you know that you wanted to work in tech?" My Ooh, response was, "I'll oh. let you know when I find out." But <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it, it's a question that I, I'd love to hear from you guys. I think this is like a good good get to know you sort of scenario. I don't know why you guys decided you wanted to work in tech. And, and Jonathan, I think you've only been in tech for a couple of years, and Brandon much longer. So oh, I'm curious I've been, to know. I've been in tech my whole life, if you really <laughs> count it. But all right, tell tell us. Yeah, I mean. It, you know, starting from you know, I, in tech as for a company is different, but just working with technology. You know, I've been growing up using Pro Tools, audio technology, video technology, bootstrapping with bands, helping them promote their guerrilla warfare as far as getting it out there and on a budget, shoestring budgets. So I think just the fascination with how it evolves, how it how it's constantly changing, how you're constantly learning new things and new tricks of the trade. I think that just always has me coming back for more because it's just it's fascinating yeah so so almost like you were you were using so much technology that you had a chance to go on the inside and be mm -hmm. out of tech company yeah and you could see how it evolves from the inside like in which which is which is awesome mm -hmm. yeah nice brandon cool um man i that's that's a good question how did i so i'm all about like productivity and efficiency and i think tech really helps you do that. I, I do remember the first time I really fell in love with, um, well, at, at the idea, it was just, uh, at the time, it was just the idea of more advanced marketing, marketing technology. I was actually in sales. So I sat down with our head of sales, uh, at the, or head of marketing at the time. She was, a, she was super legit. She knew her systems inside and out. She was a Marketo champion. She was amazing. And um, like I thought marketing was just, you know, the arts and crafts department. And she's like, no, 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 Brandon, look. I got my system all orchestrated so that like I, I know if I put a dollar in here, it's going to come out, you know, a dollar 34, you know, 60 days later here. But if I put that dollar in over here, here's how it's going to affect the bottom line. And I was like, holy shit, like that is cool. I want to learn that. Um, and that's when I actually decided that that 
after that meeting, I decided I wanted to make the move over to marketing. Um, and then after that, uh, I, I was still at a company that was not very advanced, but I always figured like there, there's more to this marketing thing. There's more to this marketing thing. And I was like, well, where should I go to learn the tech side of marketing? And that's how I ended up. I ended up out in California. Um, but I think it's just the the power that technology can give to help people do things more efficiently and more effectively. I don't want to like over automate everything. I think there's still a lot to be said for the human element and bringing, bringing psychology, bringing uh, behavioral insights to both sales and marketing, which is a big reason I ended up at Ring DNA. I think there is a fine balance. And I think Ring DNA does a phenomenal job at finding that balance where a lot of people out there, they just want to automate the hell out of everything, which I think is the wrong approach. But um, yeah, it, it's like I'm fascinated with the intersection of human behavior and technology. Mm. So again, you're sort of like getting inside the belly of the beast by being at the company and enabling people who were in your role at not tech companies by, by like providing them technology to help them do their job better and more efficiently, right? Exactly. I, I love it so much. It's so much fun. And there's, there's so much of a bridge in the marketing world, especially with technology between creativity and technology. You can be extremely creative while also using technology to enhance your creativity. And that's one of the few places in the world you can do that. Yeah, marketing and tech companies specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think all of this sort of plays into the, the reason I love tech and, and, and um, our listeners probably have heard me say it before, but, but I was a licensed attorney or still am a licensed attorney. Um, tech is much less structured in a very good way. And, mm. and so, I mean, it was, it was probably like a few months into working at a tech company that I sort of had that realization of like, it's kind of awesome that you can join a company and like you have structure, you have guidelines, you have goals, you have KPIs, you have all that stuff, right? But at the same time, you have the the ability to go make decisions and you have some autonomy to go figure things out and, and you can go wherever you want to go. Like I joined a company as a customer success person and ultimately ended up like leading the sales ops department. Like that's... You can't do that in standard <laughs> industries and that's and that's why tech was is wildly appealing. Like if, if you're still... If you're, if you're looking for that level of autonomy and flexibility in a workplace environment, tech can't be beat, right? Yeah. And you're not kind of guardrailed down by these different, like large organizations have these guardrailed departments and it's just siloed off and just, it's just gross in comparison. It's just gross. <laughs> strong, strong thoughts about the big companies. I'm going to put so many guardrails in here every day. So many guardrails. Start locking me out of Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 cool, guys. I, I really appreciate that. That that uh, it's. I mean, it's it, again. It's it's a question that I got this week, and it was. Uh, it's a hard question to answer because I think it's a different answer for every person, right? Like I think I think you have to figure out if tech is right for you, and and my. My recommendation to most people that are like, hey, maybe I should do tech. Yeah, go try Just it. Just go try it. Exactly. Well, yeah, give, give, it a, mm. give it a crack. See if you like it. You might hate it. You might love it. Totally. Well, you know? yeah. whenever, whenever someone asks me, so I, I had someone today ask me about, um, or I just jumped on a quick call. She was like, I, I want to make the move from demand gen to product marketing. Like, why will I regret it? And my advice to her was, I mean, kind of like you're saying, like, well, to, go, go talk to a lot of people. Ask them what they like what they don't like about their job, what does their day look like, and then go, go try it out yourself. Um, th there are a lot of times when people, like, after talking to five product marketers, eh, maybe I do want to stay in demand gen. Like, I, I don't like these things that you're doing all day. There's this one piece of 
product marketing that I think is really cool, but the rest of it sounds terrible. <laughs> right, like don't talk. Then to probably, do, then prob- probably don't do product marketing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the same could be said for tech. Go talk to a lot of people who relatively recently made the move to tech. Ask them what they yeah. like, what they don't like, what they miss about not being in tech. You know, wh- what yeah. what are mm-hmm. things that they did not expect? And then I think informational interviews, right? Uh, like, exactly. Go, go, go do an informational interview. Ask them how do you get into it? Like, where should I start? What what roles would I be looking at? Like, do I need to go get a certification to do it? Like, yeah, yeah. just ask people. Tech people are nice. Tech well, people are nice. Some yes. of us. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll answer some questions. Yeah. <laughs> And definitely don't go in thinking it's all rainbows and butterflies. You're going to hit some snags. You're going to have have some challenges. Well, you're going to work hard. You. Yeah. You're going to work hard for sure. That's 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 coming. That's Technology coming. is difficult, and you know there's different layers you can do. You know, you could be on on the surface where you're just kind of you know building emails and doing certain things like that, or you can kind of get into the integrations and the API and and things like that. So there, there's different levels of technology you're going to be involved in. So it's just a matter of figuring out what's right for you. Agreed, well and I, I really expected I really expected Alec, our producer, to contribute here with his how why he wanted to end up in tech. But I'm assuming his silence means oh, he, <laughs> he said he said he said money. money. <laughs> <laughs> also, a very good reason to go work yes. in tech. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Money, that's fair. money is and on that not note, bad. And on, on that note, thank you guys. This is an awesome episode, and we will see everybody next week. Thanks, guys. Adios. Adios.